song. I love to tell the story. And um, that's why I'm here today. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Amen? Amen. And it is so good to be here um, with First Baptist Fishable this morning. Um, your family, your church family, have been involved with our ministry for several years, many years. And uh, to be able to come and to say thank you is truly an honor and a privilege. Um, it's my first time to be here at First Baptist Church Fishable, and it is beautiful. And I'm not just talking about the facility. Um, wonderful, loving group of people. And you guys have loved us, and we want to say thank you for all of your prayers, all of your, your support for the youth, uh, mission groups that have come out over the years. Uh, Pastor Jeff, his heart for not only this, this community, but also to be uh, used of God to reach all over the world. But I was just sharing with Brother Blake, what a beautiful thing it is that you guys are so involved in our own city of Memphis. Amen? Amen. And I wish more and more churches would be involved here locally. Um, and you guys continue to do that year after year. And it's our prayer that that'll go on for, for many more years. But we don't want to be selfish. We know that God can use y'all anywhere. But we feel blessed to have you, to have your people, to have your young people coming out and being a part of our ministry in Memphis. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to do exactly what we just sang about. I'm going to kind of tell the story of Jesus and his love and the way it has impacted us and uh, our family personally for me and my wife and, and our kids and then also for our church and our community. Uh, by the way, uh, my wife, her name is Karen, and um, she, we are missionaries. My wife and I are missionaries with the North American Mission Board. We're, we're not salaried missionaries. We're Mission Service Corps missionaries. And uh, we have been doing that now for 30, 30 years. And so uh, serving in, in Memphis. Um, we have three children that are our biological children. And then we've also had dozens of foster children because we're foster parents have been doing that for years and years and years. And then we also have um, our youngest is, is adopted. His name is Tim. And when we adopted him, we'd had him for several years as a foster child. And when we adopted him, he, uh, his name was already Tim. And so he asked if he could become Tim Cox Jr. Uh, so that was a very special thing uh, the day that he, he asked me that. And so I have a junior, and his name is Tim Cox Jr. Uh, now, back at the ranch in Memphis, we don't have a ranch, but I wish we did. By the way, the drive out here, whoa, so beautiful. I know why y'all live out here, out here, but it was beautiful. But back at home, um, we took in two more children a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, on an emergency basis. Actually, it was a sibling group of four. We were supposed to get them just for the weekend because of a tragic situation that occurred of abuse in their family. And uh, Department of Children's Services had taken them 
out of their home on a Friday evening, and we got an emergency call asking if we would take these four little children, six, four, six, four, four, and two, two boys and two girls, wanting to know if we would take them in for the weekend. Now, two and a half years later, we still have two. Um, Department of Children's Services decided to let the two little girls go with an auntie to, to live with an auntie, but she couldn't take all four of them. So we continued to keep the little boys. And uh, I know y'all are going to think this is crazy, okay? But parental rights are in the process of being terminated. And so now we have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and that's where Karen is this morning. She's with them. We wanted to preserve the integrity of your church, so we didn't bring them with us. <laughs> Although I did notice that y'all have already thought about this because you have the children's place, right? <laughs> but it, oh, excuse me. I knew I was going to do it. I'm sorry. But anyway, so guess what we're, guess what we're in the process of doing? We're adopting an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. I know. We're too old. But you know, there were some other folks, I think it's biblical, that thought they were too old too. So, uh, matter of fact, there's a few couples in, in the Bible. So, y'all just remember us in your prayers as we go through this process. It looks like it is going to be a drawn-out process um, for that. But anyway... What a blessing to be here. And I just want to pray and uh, just ask the Lord to open our hearts. I love your theme. Who's your one? So many hurting people. I want to pray and ask the Lord just to open our hearts this morning. Because he knows every, every pain, every situation. Let's ask that he would, this is kind of like, we talk about dangerous prayers in Memphis at Brinkley Heights. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's one that will have rewards that are out of this world. Let's pray and ask the Lord to put it on our hearts, the things that he sees this morning. And that he would move us to a new place, a deeper place, a better understanding of him and his love, and how we can reach our one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a beautiful opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share with these people your work your love. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts because Lord, you've got us here for a purpose. And Lord, we pray that you would, uh, you would take us to a, a deeper, deeper place with you today. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
I want to share just one, uh, one little passage of Scripture with you, and I'm not really going to preach this passage this morning, um, but I think it's one that we can kind of identify with. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse 26 is where we'll begin. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. The scripture says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Wow. Great place to start, huh? Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Aren't you glad? Amen? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Your church has been involved in a ministry um, in Memphis at Brinkley Heights. Our little church is called Brinkley Heights Baptist Church. And uh, we are located in kind of like, we're not down in the inner, inner city, but we're an urban neighborhood, uh, kind of, well, we're, if you guys know where Binghampton is in Memphis, our neighborhood is just north of Binghampton. So Summer Avenue kind of is the uh, northern edge of Binghampton, and our area begins just on the other side of Summer Avenue, Jackson Avenue, Macon Road. Um, that part of Memphis, um, and so that's where our ministry is located. Some of you know that area. Um, we're not far from um, Leewood Baptist Church in that area, if y'all are familiar with any of the churches in that area. Highland Heights Baptist Church, uh, things like National Avenue. It's no longer there, but National Avenue. But that is our, that's our community, and then as we move north across there geographically, uh, the next neighborhood that we minister in is Nutbush. So, um, and then to our west is Douglas. So some of you guys that understand the urban landscape of Memphis kind of know where, where we were at. Well, I had never been in that part of Memphis before. Um, I was on staff at a church in South Haven, and um, I got a call one day to, that uh, there was a little church in Memphis that needed somebody to come and speak for them. And so um, I asked my pastor, he said, go for it. You know, I was an associate, so I was always looking for opportunities to preach. And so uh, I didn't know much about the church, if anything. I didn't know the people or anything like that. I just knew there was a church that was needing somebody to preach for them. And this might be something, you know, special, because I was an associate dreaming of being a pastor one day, right? And so I thought, in Memphis, maybe this is a big church. Right? Maybe this is a, well, you're talking about culture shock. I had never been involved in any type of urban ministry before or anything like that. And so uh, I'll never forget 
that, uh, that first morning. I thought I was going there to preach one Sunday morning service. And that was 30 years ago. I'll never forget as I drove up at a little tiny white brick church building. And it wasn't at all like I, I kind of imagined. And it was a hot August morning in 1989. Hot August morning. I, I, I remember driving up and I remember wondering, why are, they, why are they leaving the front doors of the church? We're wide open. I'm thinking, they're letting all the cold air come out, get out of that church. Well, guess what? There wasn't any cold air in that church. No air conditioning. And as I walk up that little tiny white brick church building, there were bullet holes through the stained glass window. And then I walk inside and there's a little small group of people, only about a dozen people, about, just about a dozen people. They were all young folks. And they weren't dressed anywhere near what I was used to because I was used to more of a, a higher church. And... And I walked in, and they're in tennis shoes and shorts and T-shirts. And they were all in their, like, 20s or something like that, but it's only a small group of them. And, of course, when I walked in, I was dressed, decked out, had a puff in my pocket. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the puff in the pocket. But, and I come walking in, and they look at me like, what is that? And I looked at them, and I was thinking, what is that? I'll never forget that first morning. I stood up to preach in a little tiny church. You could have put at least two, maybe three of their sanctuaries in this room right here. That's how small, just a little tiny church building. And I'll never forget as I stood up to preach, I could look down the center aisle. And of course, the doors were wide open. I could see people would walking up and down the street uh, outside on the sidewalk. Everybody walks in our neighborhood. And there was this one fella, as I began to preach, there was this one fella. Uh, he came walking by. And he, he stopped, and I could see him right out there. Strange-looking dude. He had a long, scraggly beard, and he had long, scraggly hair. And he was wearing a baseball cap. And he's looking at me. And I'm very hard to concentrate, because I don't know what this guy's going to do, right? And then he takes off his baseball cap, and he comes in, and he sits down in the very back pew of the church. And then it hit me. This is a street guy. There is a homeless guy that just walked in the church. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's a homeless guy that came walking into the church. I had never seen anything like that. Well, couldn't wait to get to the invitation time. And so I gave an invitation and that maybe somebody there needed to accept Christ. And I was hoping this fella might do that, right? And so I asked their, their music guy to lead us in a hymn of invitation. His name was Herbie. By the way, I'm using real names if you want the, the story and fake names. They're out there on that. I got a display out there. It's got some envelopes and stuff about y'all pick one up. But anyhow, this guy, this guy, his name was Herbie. And he came out. He came up. You're talking about, my goodness. He just, there was a beautiful piano just like that. And there was a beautiful, y'all, well, y'all don't have an organ. Well, there, there's an organ. He, they, they're beautiful instruments up there. But he came walking up with a guitar, just a regular guitar. And he didn't come up on the platform or nothing. He just walked out there. And I said, uh, Herbie, would you play something for us in case somebody wants to accept Christ today? He said, sure. So he starts strumming on his guitar. And then he just starts belting out this song. I mean, oh, my goodness, only one problem. Herbie can't sing a lick. 
And I'm going like, whoa. Strangest thing about Herbie, though. Herbie had a gift. About 30 seconds after he'd start singing, you'd forget about the fact he couldn't sing. See, Herbie, I didn't know, any, I didn't know these folks. I didn't know anything about him. But I found out later, Herbie, Herbie had only been a believer for about a year. Before that, he said, he told me, I was a gutter drunk when Jesus found me. And now, a year later, he's sober. And he's singing for his Lord. He'd draw you into his song. So Herbie's singing. I'm looking back there hoping this guy will come forward. Well, he doesn't do it. And then Herbie just stops singing. I wanted to give the guy more time. So I looked at Herbie. I said, Herbie, could you sing the second verse for us? He said, the second verse? I said, yeah. Would you sing the second verse? He said, well, okay. So he starts strumming. He starts singing, belting it out again. Except for this time, the words he's singing. I've never heard these words before in my life. Herbie was making it up. See, he, he didn't know any of the church songs. And he would memorize the words to the first verse because he didn't know how to read. His wife would sing and he'd pick out the melody on his guitar and he'd memorize the words to the first, first verse. When I asked him to sing the second verse, he didn't know it, so he, didn't, he just decided, I'll make it up. Well, what he was singing was not theologically correct. So the guy didn't come forward. I was afraid to ask him to sing the third verse, right? And so I said, okay, let's just close our time together in prayer. As soon as I said that, this homeless dude standing back, back there in the back, he starts waving his baseball cap in the air. And he goes, wait, wait, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And he comes running down the center aisle of the church. I tell folks, you know, if that had been the only thing that ever happened in that little church, that would have been enough. Who gets to see that? Well, it was just the beginning. God was going to use those folks to change our lives. To turn our lives upside down. Actually, I think he used those folks to turn our lives right side up. They came up and they would tell me all kind of crazy stuff. They kept asking me to come back, service after service. And I'm thinking, what the, what the world is going on? How, how long are they going to do this? Three months, every service. It was causing problems back in my other church. My pastor was saying, Tim, what are you going to do? Finally, after the service one night, they said... Uh, We'd like to ask you to be our pastor, but we're not sure if we're allowed to do that or not. I said, well, why wouldn't you be allowed to do that? Why do y'all think? They said, we don't have any way to pay. They had all kind of crazy ideas. The first thing I did after I first got there, before they asked me to be their pastor, is I told them, no, y'all need to like join other, another church around here. The old building was falling down. They were like, like the roof had caved in, in the educational part of it. When it would rain, it would just rain in the building. They put buckets out trying to catch the water. 
where the roof had caved in in the educational building, they'd had, they had plastic pieces of sheets of, of plastic up trying to, like these big tarps, they were trying to funnel the water into big barrels to catch the water to come in. Every time it rained, it still flooded the whole building. I told them, why don't y'all, why don't y'all like join one of these other larger churches? They said, oh, no. I said, how come? They said, uh, we wouldn't, we just, we just wouldn't fit in. Do y'all think we have a church culture? What do y'all think? You think it's easy for folks to just walk in off the street that aren't church? What do you think that would be like? They said, no. And I, and I told them, I said, listen. I said, I hear what you're saying, but y'all got to understand something. Anybody that goes to church around here is not going to come here. They're going to go to one of those larger, nicer churches. They said, okay. Now, I'll never forget the young man looked at me. He said, well, we're, we're not trying to reach people to go to church anyway. I said, you're not. They said, no. We're trying to reach people that don't. Like us. See, young people, the oldest believer in that group was about three years old in Christianity. The church had evangelized the area and they won these folks to the Lord, these young people, and then the church had internal problems and all the leadership left. All that was left were this little group of new believers. Most of them had only been a believer about a year. And they had some strange ideas. They said, we need to be open every day. I said, why do you need to be open every day? They said, because in that, this neighborhood, people need God every day. I said, well, how are you going to do that? They said, well, we'll take shifts. I said, what are you talking about? They said, you know, like they do at Walmart. So they did. They took shifts. They put it out on the sign out front when, they'd be open, when the church would be open. They'd sit out there and as people walk by, they'd say, hey, do you need any prayer today? What do you think happened? People would stop and say, yeah, and then they'd pray for them. And they got through praying for them. You'd look up and tears just streaming down their faces. And we heard the same thing over and over again. Nobody's ever done that for me before. Well, they started telling me about all the situations that they were facing. Tragic things were going on. I knew about crime and drugs and all kind of stuff going on, murder and violence in Memphis. I'd lived in Memphis area all my adult life. I knew all that. I'd seen it on the news. The difference was every time they'd, I'd show up, they'd come to me and they'd tell me about somebody who was hurting. And then they'd tell me their name. I knew about all that stuff, but I never knew their name. They kept telling me about all these things were happening. Hmm. I remember uh, I'd only been there a short while, and there was a little boy. He used to walk himself to church. His name was James. He's only about six years old. He walked by himself to church. And uh, they said, well, you know about James, don't you? And I said, uh, well, I know James. They said, well, you know his stepdaddy's a mean drunk. 
Y'all know what a mean drunk is? Nicest guy in the world unless he was drinking. They said that James told him that when his stepdaddy had come home drunk was just about every night he'd run and he'd hide in a closet. He'd get back in that closet. He told him that he'd put his hands over his ear. The reason he did that is he didn't want to hear the screams of his mama as her stepdaddy came home drunk and he'd beat her. They said, we got to do something about this. There's another little girl. She was only about 11 or 12 years old. She was just like James. She'd walk from the neighborhood. She always sat on the front, front row. One day I was preaching on honor your father and your mother, and I saw her tug on the shirt sleeve of the lady sitting next to her, and they got up and walked out. After church, this lady comes up to me, and she says, uh, Pastor, we got to do something. I said, what's wrong? She said, do you know what June just told me? I said, no, you know how you were preaching about honor your father and your mother? She wanted to know if that included her mama's boyfriend. And then she began to cry. June told her that she's so scared of that man because he'll come into her room. They said, we got to do something. Elderly lady lived down the street. Went by there to pray with her one day and her door was open. Which was strange and I rapped on the frame and I said, Ain't Sarah, are you home? I heard her screaming in the back. I run back in the back and I find her laying in the floor. Her son, who was an adult addicted to cocaine, had come by there trying to get some money. She didn't have it. Her own son tried to beat her to death. They say, we got to do something. We got to do something about this. Listen, y'all, I don't know where they get this idea. They thought that a church was supposed to do something about all the evil and wickedness and violence and all that that was going on around them. I don't know where they got that idea. They come to me over and over, and this went on for about six months. Finally, finally, one cold winter night. I told you all they didn't have any air conditioning, right? In the wintertime, guess what? No heat. And I remember this, was, I'd been there about six months. It was a cold winter night, and they started, it was Wednesday night prayer night, and they started coming in. This lady comes in. She was kind of like the ringleader. And I saw her. She coming straight for me. And she, she comes up to me and she says, Pastor, we got to do something. And I said, well, oh, what, what's wrong? And she said, well, there's a family I know. And she told me their names. They'd been evicted from their home. They didn't have anywhere to go. They're living in their van. It's about 30 degrees outside. They don't even have coats for their kids. She said, we got to do something. And I said, well, it's prayer night. I'll never forget. She looked at me, and I could see fire in her eyes. And she pointed her finger in my face. And she said, we're through praying. It's time to do something. Got all over me, made me mad. Who, wouldn't, who does she think she's talking to? 
I mean, y'all don't try that on, on Pastor Jeff. Don't stick your finger in his face and say we're through praying. That's not a good idea. I got all mad and I pulled myself back. Grace of God, right? Because we were fixing to go lock it up, right? I pulled myself back, calmed down. I, but I, that's just it. This was the poorest, this, this was the most ridiculous group of poor folks I ever seen. They didn't understand nothing about nothing. Here they are, they're wanting to do all these things to try to help all these people, right? They didn't have nothing. I already told you about the condition of the building, right? We'd pass the offering plate. There'd be nickels, dimes, quarters, every now and then a couple of dollar bills. And then there were these little tan pieces of paper. They were their food stamps. They were tithing their food stamps. And they had this whole long list of things they thought they ought to be doing to try to reach people in their neighborhood for Jesus. Well, I decided that night that was it. I told them, sit down. So I told them, I said, listen here. I think it's great that y'all want to try to help folks. But y'all got to understand something. To do all the stuff that y'all are talking about doing, it would take a whole lot of money to do that stuff. And we just don't have it. We can't even hardly pay the light bill, and that's the only bill we have. I'll never forget when I told him that. This young man, he was sitting on the second row. His aunt, hand immediately goes up. His name was Larry. He'd only been a believer just over a year. His hand went up. I said, what is it, Larry? And he stood up, and he, he looked at me, and he said, excuse me, Pastor. But you don't have to tell us that we don't have any money. Dart to the heart. I'd been in their homes. I'd seen their struggles. He said, you don't have to tell us that we don't have any money. And then he pointed up in there like that. And he looks up, and he says, our father does. Why can't we just be on the front line? And why can't God send some supplies to us? And if God will send us the supplies, we'll retake this neighborhood for Jesus. I looked out there, y'all, and there's only, like, like I said, just a small group, about a dozen folks, but every one of them, guess what their heads were doing? And then it hit me. They actually believed that. They actually believed that, y'all. They thought that God could send them supplies. And they thought they could retake their neighbor. And I looked out at them and I said, do y'all believe that? They said, yeah. And I said, then y'all need to come up here and we need to pray. Y'all know I'd been there about six months. And as far as I know, that is the first time I ever said, let's pray to those folks and actually meant it. And I wish you could have been there. That cold winter night, water stains down the wall. They all huddled at the altar. And one by one, they began to pray. And they all prayed out loud. And they prayed different prayers, but all their prayers centered around that one thing. Father, would you send us some supplies? We'll be on the front lines for you. We'll retake this neighborhood. 
That was 30 years ago. How would you like to be in the middle of a miracle for 30 years? First Baptist Church, Fisherville, you are an answer to our prayer. The Lord began to send people from all over the country. I'll get phone calls, people asking me to explain it. Guess what? I can't. God just put, he heard their prayer. That's the only thing I can say. And God, God began sending all these people and then we, we started having, you know, we started doing outreach and everything they talked about doing. Emergency Ministry Center. We have about 2,000 families a year now that come, come through emergency ministries. We have church, churches that have joined together, volunteers working our emergency services and ministries. We, we average somebody accepting Jesus every day. And then the outreach, street reach, which you guys are heavily involved in, the Lord began sending teams. We started doing outreach to all these different areas in, in, in our neighborhood and children's clubs. We do these clubs all day, all summer long. We, we have all these clubs going on. Last year, we had over two, this past summer, we had over 2,000 neighborhood children enrolled in those day camps. The most amazing thing, as we began to get involved in the community, we, we found out that we knew where every child was living who was living in dangerous situations. Did y'all know that children live in, in crack houses? Did you know that drug dealers, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Do drug dealers have children? Yes, they do. How about prostitutes? Yes, they do. Gang members? Yes, they do. We started being able to realize because you people like y'all send their, their mission groups in, we can tell you where every crack house is, every gang, every house where there's gang activity. We can tell you every one of those places in our neighborhood. And guess what? We can tell you where children are living in those places. And then the Lord put it on our heart to go get them. We had a terrible shooting in our neighborhood back in 2002. Five of our Bible day camps, street reach Bible club kids, were shot. One little girl died. Her name was Jessica. She was only three years old. The Lord told us to start a school, a Christian school, but not for Christian kids. What do y'all think? Y'all think there ought to be a Christian school for kids that aren't Christians? So we started a school for kids like little Jessica. In 2002, she was shot and killed. 2004, 150 construction volunteers from 17 states came in and built our first Brinkley Heights Urban Academy building. And we've added every year since 2004, we've added a grade. Every, we started out with kindergarten, added a grade. In 2017, we had our first graduating class of two. been the most amazing thing reclaiming the neighborhood reclaiming lives we've had whole families come to the Lord 
one of those first graduates of Brinkley Heights Urban Academy. By the way, we now have 116 children in pre-K through 12. Amen? We're fighting for our neighborhood. We're going to reclaim that neighborhood. And one of those first two graduates, her name is Chastity. Her picture is on my display right out there. I'd love for y'all to come by and pick up a brochure on the, on the school. But Chastity is in the cap and gown. She's now a junior at Union University. When I met her, she was homeless. Thank you for making this possible. Do y'all believe we can reclaim our neighborhood? Y'all know that neighborhood. Some of y'all know it very well. Do you think we can reclaim that neighborhood for Jesus? I know you believe it because you're praying for us and you're sending your kids. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for allowing this to happen. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me come and share with you this morning. Amen. I hope that you heard. I believe you heard Tim's heart for the Lord. And, uh, you know, when he talks about that neighborhood, I know some of you know that neighborhood because you grew up in that neighborhood. I've talked to many of you who have told me that you went to Treadwell and Kingsbury and, and know those streets very well and know the situation there very well. But I hope that you heard Pastor Tim's heart. And I wish that we could just go on for about two or three hours, let him tell you the whole story. Um, because you'd be sitting here the whole time just amazed at God's faithfulness to prayer. There was a community of people who actually believed that God would answer their prayer. And he's been answering it for 30 years. And I believe he'll continue to answer that prayer for many, many more years to come. Now, when we think about our own lives... Do we have that same kind of faith? Do we have that same kind of heart in which we look at the Lord and we pray to the Lord, God, we see the need in front of us and we believe you can meet this need and we will be on the front lines of that need. That's my prayer for us today, that we would be a church just like Brinkley, a church that sees the needs around us, the need for the gospel, the physical needs, and that we would be willing to say, here my Lord, send me. Use me. God, here are my resources. Here's my money. Here's my house. Here's my life. I'm laying it at your feet. Use me for your glory and for your name. God, it's not about my kingdom. It's about your kingdom. That's the call that is on our lives. Not just Tim's life. Not just the people in those particular neighborhoods. That's a call on the life of every believer. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have given your life to Jesus. Have you really, truly done that? Today, as we come to this time of invitation, if there's a decision that you need to make today, maybe you realize today you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you need to do that for salvation, I'd like to invite you to come forward. Maybe you're here today and you realize God's placed a calling on your life to serve calling to give and, and you want to talk about that and you want to pray about that or maybe you feel like you need to come to the altar this is the time to do so Father God we thank you for the ministry of Brinkley Heights and your faithfulness in that community and we thank you for sending individuals 
who have been willing to answer your call. And Father, I pray that you would place the same burden on our hearts, the same burden on our lives, that we would see the needs around us and that we would trust you to meet the needs. But God, that we would understand and see that maybe you've placed us in that situation so that we could be the answer to our own prayer. You've placed us there because you want us to meet the need. You want us to tell them about Jesus. Father, help us to see your calling on our lives today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this song invitation?